FBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends, and thank you for listening to Truth and Justice. You are tuning in to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 24, Bo Nash. This week, the spiderweb led us back to a familiar character and the May 2007 police interview of Bo Nash. Over the course of this interview, Bo rehashes details of the night of the murder, as well as gives us some insight on a few critical players in the case. As always, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and right after this short break, we're going to dive into your listener questions and hear our theories. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, those of you that are on the YouTube Live, got a big crowd today in the YouTube Live. We even got Dr. Shiloh in the house in the YouTube Live. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and speaking of which, before we get into anything else we got going on, uh, Janet informed me right as we were hitting record that she has a special message from Dr. Shiloh's partner in crime, Dr. Scott, who you said emailed you about the Jessica Henry interview. Yeah. I yeah I I I didn't know it was coming and it was I was I was so excited to get it. Um, so if you if you're listening to this and it's been a second since you thought about that Jessica Henry video uh, video it, the Jessica Henry interview, please feel free to go back revisit. Um, but I really loved his input. Um, and I think he was actually listening to our follow up as well, not just the interview with Jessica, but the follow up and some of the comments that you all had and and our discussion about it. Um, he says the obsession with Javier's sexuality, which actually is also very relevant for this week, is uh, grossly misdirected and disturbing, completely unprofessional, even within the context of the time of the interview. From a clinical perspective, it's more reflective on his own internalized homophobia and likely place on the Kinsey scale. Love that analysis. Kinsey scale, for those of you who may not know, know uh, that's that's sort of a a range of and Shiloh, correct me if I'm wrong, although now I'm looking at this email, so I won't know if you say anything. Uh, It's 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 a scale of sexuality. It's a scale of sort of straight to homosexual. And the idea that was established by a doctor, Kinsey, um, who did a ton of research showing that many people fall somewhere in between. It's not just all one Mm -hmm. and all of the other. Um, And so I think Scott is suggesting that perhaps he could have an interest or fascination in all of it um, could be, you know, perhaps he has a little something going on there and is uncomfortable about that and is sort of deflecting and putting it on other people. Um, I don't know if that's a mischaracterization, Shiloh. Hopefully it's not. But um, he also says, I did not see warmth. And I know we talked about this in the chat last week. I did not see warmth. Saw a lot of smarm and condescension. This detective already has a theory and he's trying to pound the puzzle pieces into a form that he has decided upon. And then finally, what is the pattern of the interview? If he was trying to throw her off for some reason, I guess I could understand. Is this just gross incompetence because he's sort of all over the place and isn't doesn't seem to be tracking what the conversation is? And at best, maybe he's trying to keep her on her toes, but uh, mm-hmm. not a fan. He was not a fan of this interview. However, he is a fan of the podcast and all of our wonderful listeners contributions. He says y'all are rocking it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Scott, for the, the input. Love that. And I know we had a ton of people. Um, is there more or is that it? That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it for from Dr. Scott okay. for this this week. Loved it. Yeah. I And I'd say that I think I had said last week that to me, like, it seems like at this point, at that point in the investigation that LeClaire, I, in my opinion, somebody wrote in and said, I think that he's so focused on Javier because he's desperately trying to clear him. I don't get that vibe. I get the vibe that he's trying to come up with a scenario in his mind where Javier is guilty because Javier. I, he, I'm guessing he caught on to some of the um, the inconsistencies between what he says he's doing and the friends say they're doing and stuff. 
And for whatever reason, I think he thinks that Javier is guilty. And the way he must have figured that out in his mind is, well, it must be something to do with the fact that he's gay. And so he keeps trying, because he, Dr. Scott said it perfectly. He's constantly trying to wedge this weird narrative into, into the context of like every interview. And we heard it again this week. Uh, So do, do we think that maybe the theory is that Becky is going to out him, that Becky knows and Becky's going to out him. And that's, I mean, maybe that's the detective's theory of why he keeps asking everybody if Javi's gay. I don't know. Or like Dr. Scott said, it's possible. You know, some people, I think some jokingly, someone, some not so jokingly on the, uh, on the fan page have messaged, had mentioned like, well, is like LeClaire gay? Why is he mm-hmm. like, is he, and from what Dr. Scott says, almost like he's maybe somewhere on that scale and has some interest or fascination. I don't know, but it's super weird. And like we said, again, this week we hear it again. Well, in this week's interview with Bo, I mean, Bo seemingly finds it comical at the beginning. When he's yeah. like, well, is, and it's is, so uncomfortable to like, have well, an adult, to have an adult authority figure, like just sort of mm-hmm. hit you with that. And I felt like his laughter was also just like super discomfort. Like that's the okay. last thing he thought he was going to be asked about and was like, ah, this is a super weird way this is going, which is kind of how we all felt listening, I think. Well, and, the, and to me, the strangest part about it is he says it to everyone. And everyone says, no, he's not gay. And he still insists. It's a weird, I don't get it. He just continues, like, I think he's gay. Seems like, and then he's like, a lot of people seem to think, no, they don't. Yeah, no, no one, one said, said that. It. No one has said that. Every single human that your dumbass has talked to has said, no, he's not. <laughs> like, who are these people, these lots of people? Yeah. That, sorry, I'm ranting. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, to no. Me. I mean, there was a great, there was a great series of posts on the Facebook page, a thread that everybody was commenting on that was very much of that, <laughs> that attitude. Like, what? No. You could sort of hear us all collectively reacting as that episode dropped, and we were all like, oh no. Now a lot of people right. think this. Right. And by uh, the way, we've heard every single fucking interview that he's done. Uh-huh. So I don't know who the, except for Nick Crumbs, who's you know, miraculously dropped out of the police file. Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because I also, it was this total toss aside comment, but I thought it was really funny that he was like, we've talked, I've, I've talked to hundreds of people. Like yeah. he, he, he uses hundreds of people. And I did hundreds. want to just mention that and go, I'm sorry, has he talked to, have they talked to hundreds of people? He's talking to, he's talked to tens of people. Yeah. I think is what he meant to say. He's okay. talking to tens of people. Tens of people. Before we get into to questions, Zach, I, cause we haven't even talked about this. What was your kind of take on Bo's interview? It, you know, there's there's a lot of spots in there that he talks through. He just kind of talks in circles where he's he pretends, you know, I know it was a big issue on the fan page this week where people were like, oh, they're white supremacists. Well, he never really says they're white supremacists. Right. He says Christian has white supremacist leanings, but like doesn't say he's, he's like, well, he's not really white supremacist. He just kind of feels that way. And he's like, and I hear Robert's racist, but he's got a half black girlfriend. So I don't know. Doesn't seem very racist to me. I mean, right. he literally says that. And I think both yeah. in both instances, it wasn't kind of like I've heard. Yeah, I've heard it was it was very rumor related, which, uh, you know, in this case, that seems to be everything right now. Everything's rumor related. Well, and before you move on from that, I want to, and I know I'm sure Janet, you have questions about this, but I think yes, I'll, tons. I'll address it up front. Be- it was going to be the first thing I talked about, just because everybody is talking about it. So, yeah, and 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 I even had people like emailing directly, like through the, like the contact form on the website that are like. Why would we – I don't want to be a part of helping to get a white supremacist out of prison. Like why are we doing this if he's a white – a lot of – listen, people. Here's the thing. They're not. And I, I say that pretty confidently because, number one, you have you, – you've got Bo saying he kind of heard this and it kind of seemed that way. What you had mm-hmm. is a couple of white kids who both had their heads buzz cut. Yeah. But – the reality is, if you take and some pe- some people, there were some people on the fan page that didn't d- disagreed with my kind of take on it, but I'll give you my take on it. You have him saying, "I heard basically there's this rumor that they're white supremacists." We don't know who the source is of that rumor. I'll give you three guesses who it is, um, where it comes from. Um, but then, so then, I, I it's not like I blew it off. I like I took that and said, like, "Okay, well, let's look at their actions." We already know Bo said that Robert's girlfriend was half black. Mm-hmm. If you understand what white supremacy means. It's like people that literally think like the white people are the perfect race and anybody that's not white should be – and a very extreme view is they should be exterminated and certainly not procreated. Well, after that girlfriend, Robert's wife now, who actually chimed in on the page 
is also first-generation Mexican. Christian's wife is also not white, the same girl that he was dating at the time. Um, and to be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak as I should have asked her, um, cause I don't know what her ethnicity is, but I know it's not white. Uh, and they have a child together. They're still, they're still married. And like I said, uh, Robert's wife even chimed. She's like, what? Like, how is he? Ra- he's not racist or white supremacist. He's married to me. Mm-hmm. And before me was his, was his mixed race girlfriend. They've never, and, and he's talking about how he heard things from Robert's, Robert. Christian's friend Javier, yeah, who's Hispanic, like there's there's literally no evidence that either of these two guys are in any way white supremacists. Yeah, even what he said when he when he says Christian Christian's white supremacist, and he's like, well, what, does he is he white supremacist? He's like, well, he kind of acts like it. You know, he like he thinks he's better than other races, and he thinks he's better than other people. And you're like, well, maybe he's just an asshole. That doesn't mean he's a racist. You know, like he's just. He just thinks he's awesome. Like that's really more than being a white supremacist, right? Yeah, and it's it's very. Some people drew the point, and I and I agree with them that like them based on how they look and assuming that they're white supremacists is not real different than the way looking at the way Damien Eccles looks and assuming that he is a devil worshiper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, but the thing is, this is not. This is not like a a theme. There's not like a bunch of people saying this. We've never heard this from anyone else. It's just all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I had heard from someone or I've heard that they're white supremacists or racists, uh, but there's zero evidence supporting that. And like literally the way they've lived their lives and the choices they've made uh, for who their companions are Mm -hmm. is the exact opposite of being a white supremacist. So. Hopefully that sets some people's mind at ease. So before we move on, I I still want to keep talking about something else with this interview. Okay. At the end of it, he he says it numerous times. He repeats it. He says, Javi knows. Javier knows. Javier knows. Mm -hmm. You need to talk to Javier. Javier knows. I mean, he just, he's beating that to death. And the detective just doesn't seem to care. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he even uses the word, I know there's stuff he hasn't told me and hasn't told you. That's a direct quote that I wrote down because I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that, wh- As we talk about that, can you just clarify, do you know what prompted this uh, interview? Because it seems like this is the same day he interviews Alex, right? So is it the Jessica Henry interview before that? Jessica's interview like, what prompts was, be- this? was, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, because yeah, they talked to Alex on the same day. So I don't know if they're just like, it seems like the case maybe sits on the, 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 the case file sits on the desk for a little while and they're like, oh, we should do some work on this case and do some follow-ups. Or I'm trying to think if there was anything in Alex's interview that would have prompted them to circle back to Bo. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure why, what prompted them to do this interview again. Cause it's weird that he, he had just him. talked to Javi a week ago and that, and if that's a coincidence, Right. I'm just curious about that for all those reasons. Um, I think that people I think it's a I think it's a double whammy of talking about white supremacy in the same context as talking about being violent, being interested in Molotov cocktails, fire, etc. So that definitely um, those two things coming as a one two punch, I think, really, um, really got people yeah. concerned. So do you want to address that part, too? Yeah, and that's I mean we're going to get into that some of that stuff when we get into you know the case against Robert and Christian, but that but that part of it does have I don't know about the Molotov cocktails, but the um but like their interest in like guns or fire or whatever like that that has legs it 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 does they're in they're into that stuff they're it's just kind of it seems like the culture of the family and the people they're around they're into that stuff, um but I don't I don't think that that has anything to do with being racist or white supremacist or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's pictures they found off of their computers and stuff of them with, you know, like posing with a shotgun or posing with a rifle and, and fires, stuff like that. So I, I don't know all those details cause we haven't dug into the case against them yet, but I, but I know like that part at least has some legs. So one part that I call, and, and I want to, I want to talk to you guys about this cause I, I don't know how I feel and I don't, I don't want to know how you guys interpreted it. But in the interview, you know, we're talking about them being violent or physical towards women. But he never actually says that. He says yeah. they're he's they're physical towards women, 
And then the the detective kind of asks what that means, and he's like, "Well, they don't. He doesn't like knock them out of the way in the hallway, but they like they wrestle with girls and stuff." Yeah. So I mean, and we got a little bit of that when Robert was talking about him and Becky. Yeah. I mean, do we? F- I mean, I feel like people are trying to use that as they are, you know, violent towards women. But is that what he's saying? I don't. I don't really know how I feel about that. So with respect to their treatment of women or what Bo said he knows for a fact, I think were his exact words, they have done or or behaved around women by being somewhat violent or being rough. The thing that concerns me is that while he doesn't say this, I don't know why he knows that for a fact. And I don't know that that isn't something that Javi also might have told him. The problem is, is that we see Javi telling so many other things to so many other people and constantly proving to be the source point of the information. And I, I just don't know. For all I know, he could have said, you know, and I know for a fact that this happened or Becky had a bruise because we've heard that story before. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know where that's I just don't know where that's coming from. And I get concerned because there's no he you know, he's very careful to say he knows it for a fact, but does not in any way volunteer why he knows that or anything like that. So I I, I question that. But I will say, by the way, that everything we're talking about um also reminds me of, you know, conversations that have been had in the past about Austin. And so we need to treat those things equally. If we're very concerned because of the stories right. we hear about Austin, we need to be equally as concerned uh, with Robert and Christian, you know, or or neither. But just want to make sure we're being even handed about that. Also, Shiloh asked, um, what did Austin, Javier and Jacob go on to do with their lives? Um, Shiloh, I believe Javier is a prison guard, like a Corrections officer. Um, Austin went into cybersecurity for a minute and then maybe also does something with. I'm not sure. Um, and then I don't know about Jacob. Does anyone? Uh, I'm not sure about Jacob either, but they, yeah, that's accurate with um, Javier and, and Austin. Actually, he in might be in cybersecurity like, too, but don't quote me on that. In regards to like being even handed about. about the stuff said about Austin or the stuff said about Robert and Christian, like a hundred percent agree. And that was some of the conversations I was having on the fan page. I'd asked somebody who very clearly like believes Robert and Christian are guilty. I was like, you know, based on, they took like what Bo said, of, you know, that he heard or his impressions or whatever. And they're like, well, obviously look at if they're into this and they're into that, they must be, I was like, okay. I was like, if that's fair, but if that's the way that you're, if that's the weight you're going to put on what Bo said about them, then I think we also need to, you know, use this same litmus against the stuff we've heard about Austin. Um, and they didn't, matter of fact, they never responded to me. Um, they didn't, they didn't want to have that conversation, but it's also, there, there are some differences there too. And I'm not saying in the fact that well, what we have this weird, like kind of ambiguity with what Bo's saying, right? Anything we've heard about like, like, Oh, I heard they're white supremacists and Christians kind of white supremacy, I think is what he said, mm-hmm. or, this or that, and they're into the Molotov cocktails, and they're like rough with women, I think. But they, you know, it's, you have that, and then and then on the other side, the stuff we've heard about Austin are like very specific, like Jessica Henry telling this is a very specific story that happened to me that Austin did to me. This and and uh, you know uh, Alex and Nick Crum talking about the incident at the mall. It's not like oh, I just heard. It's like no, he came up to me right and said. Uh, do you want me to take care of her because you know what happened to the last bitch I didn't like? Right. Um, and, and so, and I'm only telling you that to say, like, if it seems like I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my interest is more perked about that than the other. It has nothing to do with it. One's Robert Christian and one's Austin. It's just like these are firsthand real accounts of very specific instances where things happen, as opposed to this like big broad. I think they're this because I heard this, and I can't give you any examples to support it or back it up. So there's still like a pin in it. It's in the back of my mind. I I I, I haven't like dismissed it. Right. But I'm just it, it just doesn't quite hold the same weight as no this this happened like I've seen this happen with him personally is very different than oh I just heard that this is kind of a thing that maybe they do. Right. Yeah, I think I mean Again, we haven't gone into the case, the true full case against Robert and Christian, which people have been asking about. I know Jill had asked about that on the follow up post. Um, You know, when are we going to find out more about that? I think you you said in a recent follow up that you were aiming towards trying to maybe get into that soon. Um, So perhaps Mm -hmm. we'll hear more specific 
points in relation to that stuff once we get into them a little more deeply. Um, but uh, but yeah, so let's get into um, some other listener stuff. Uh, would love to hear what you think about this out the, the idea of the family, the Friedleys uh, having some growing happening of of weed. Um, what what did you guys think about that, uh, Bob and Zach? There's uh, my problem with like it's certainly interesting, and and, and it would be a huge factor in victimology. The only trick is that we'd have no we have no evidence to support it. You know, they didn't find any marijuana plants at the house. Now, to be fair, if it was being grown in the house, you may not have evidence of it because the house burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. Right. But typically that would be done in like a basement and there was no basement in this house. You know, it just seems like it would be easier to grow outside though. Right. Especially at this time. You know, I mean, the supplies aren't as readily available as they are today. Right. So it seems like it'd be easier to grow outside. And like you said, there's no evidence of that. Or if someone was to go up there, it seems like there would have to be a lot. You know, they're not going to go up there and murder three people for a few plants. And in my opinion. Yeah. And so it would, I, all I could think is if they were, it would have had to have been like back in the desert behind the house Mm -hmm. or something. But it's just, it's just one of those things. Just, just, you know, just like the, uh, the stuff about Robert and Christian. It's like, it's something they said, something I'm not forgetting about it. But I can't I, I can't move forward saying, oh, well, that's to add to victimology. They're growing pot when I have no evidence that they grew pot. But then but but, you know, stuff stuff does track like we hear and we even heard Bo say, you know, we've heard a few people now say that Becky always had the pot. Right. Mm-hmm. She was the one that always had it. She was the one that always bought it. And we have the fact that she only worked two days a week at the, you know, at, at Denny's. Um, and she had all the, all these bills. So the, 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 it's, it's something to think about, but I have not seen any, any evidence that there was a grow actually going on there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just want to acknowledge since we did sort of, uh, get into all of the white supremacy and violence and, and violence towards women, those sorts of rumors, um, or conversation in Bo's latest interview. I want to just acknowledge Kate and Jennifer. I want to acknowledge Claire and Chandler and Marie, just a lot of conversation about that, um, in particular in the follow-up. So I just wanted to give you shout out, shout outs, let you know that hopefully we sort of got into as much as we can. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the future in the case against Robert and Christian, um, your concerns about that. Related to that, Sierra, Jesse, Megan um, had a conversation in the follow up about uh, Sierra's concern. She actually was feeling like she didn't really care for the way Bo talked about women. She felt like he seemed to never say anything good about any female, that the girls at Nick's Mm -hmm. party were just a bunch of trashy girls talking about his ex being a stupid bitch or something along those lines. He seemed to be very hateful towards women and others. It made me wonder about the veracity of his statements about Robert and Christian. Um, That was just something that, you know, she's she says she could have missed something. But that was a feeling that she kind of came away with was like, you know, maybe he was being truthful as you said in the beginning of your episode, uh, in the beginning of the the follow up, Bob, maybe you said, you know, you did say, I felt like he wasn't trying to conceal things um, and that he was being truthful. But I guess the thing that I would add to that, if if that's true, like that's his truth. But that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. it's a fact, especially when you start talking about behavior of women and his perception of that and stuff. I I maintain, and maybe Dr. Shiloh will chime in. She's in the YouTube chat right now. What she thought, but. I maintain that like the I this seemed to be a very honest interview to me. Um but being honest doesn't make you a good dude, right? Mm-hmm. So like he could have been being honest cuz I I caught some of those vibes too that that you know anytime he was talking about a woman he had some kind of shitty things to say about them. Um but that that to me that doesn't make it any less truthful. It's just like he's it go, kind of goes to my point that he's not trying to conceal anything. He's just you know, sharing the fact that maybe he's a bit of an asshole towards women. Also, he, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of maybe trying to match LeClaire's energy too. Um, not that, you know, he's necessarily, you know, uh, disrespectful to women or anything, but it's kind of that macho guy type of thing that he's got going on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like it was, I still feel like it was a very honest interview, but that doesn't mean that you know, he doesn't have any flaws and that, that certainly seemed like a flaw to me. I don't know what you thought, Zach. No, I agree. I, I do think he was, 
he he spoke very ill of a lot of women in this conversation. He he did kind of speak well of Becky in a few points. He even came to her defense a couple times. Absolutely. Saying that, yeah. that he believed, you know, so so we had some of that. In yeah, there. Montana, I know you mentioned um, that in the chat, and you're absolutely right. He was one of the few people in early interviews, especially, that I think many of us felt like he was, you know, like sensitive and reflective and and seemed to have you know hold her in high esteem when we were not hearing that necessarily from other people mm-hmm. right um just a couple of questions about phone phone calls pings call logs um i know we don't hear because we have 80 other things we're all juggling uh have the call logs up but i'm sure someone in the chat does um chris points out chris w with a k that's Chris with a K, says, Bo says when approaching the Friedleys Monday AM, neither him nor Javi knew what to expect. And the call records don't indicate Javi called his dad until 2.30 p.m. when Senior called Junior. Is that weird? You have a direct line to info and you don't even make a call? Um, is that is that right? I, again, I'm not questioning it other than that I don't have the call log in front of me. Did he not? Do he we not have an indication that he spoke to his dad before? I think there were some unknown numbers that we think might have been his dad calling him. But even still, at that point, the DA's investigator probably hadn't been to the scene yet. So, you know, his dad, you know, we assume just because his dad's connected to law enforcement in Riverside County that he has all the info. And he very well may not have had the info at that point. Um, so, you know, we don't know that he was a source of information. I also want to point out that Dr. Shiloh. Uh, did chime in the chat and said, agree, makes sense, which I think that basically means that I'm a psychologist um, and that I have everything figured out. Huh. Maybe that's not what she means, <laughs> it seemed like. But, <laughs> but no, she's, uh, I assume she means she agrees what I was saying as far as like the veracity of the interview. So so another thing I picked up in this interview that I, I want to jump in real quick with is the fact that LeClaire seems to really want to discredit Nick Crum. He's done yeah. it in multiple interviews now. I mean... Do you have an opinion on why he may be trying to do this? Well, think about it. He's he's trying to discredit. I, I got the same vibe. That's a great catch on your part because he's definitely had multiple times you hear him making comments about uh, like oh, it didn't impress me. You know, he's mm-hmm. just a bunch of stoners and you know whatever. Well, and in this interview, he even says, "Well, Nick get fired." Yeah, like, but, but so so I'm I'm coupling the fact that he seems to be kind of trying to dis- discredit Nick Crum with the fact that. Nick says that he went to the sheriff's department and gave a uh, statement to police that is miraculously not in the file, not the recording, not the transcript, not a report on it Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be dropped out and that he's trying to. And I found another um, I was going to by Friday, I'll post it. But I took a screenshot of a report uh, from a later date when there were interviews done where the the I think it was Harvey or one of the Cole or Bumpatera, one of the cold case uh, officers that took the case years later says that Nick Crum was interviewed by police two times in 2006, wow. again in 2007, wow. plus the 2015 and 2016 interviews. Wow. It, it literally says that right in the report. So when Nick says that he was interviewed, there is confirmation in the file that he was, but those don't exist. That's not a good so look. I don't, think they liked, I don't think they liked what Nick had to say, at least at some point in the investigation. They didn't like what 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 Nick had to say. I think, or it's just a weird coincidence. But especially when Nick tells us that no, he wasn't with Javier that night. Mm-hmm. That that story is bullshit. Um, it's pretty interesting. Well, I guess the best way to avoid speculation on that would have been for them to just include the information in discovery. So, right, exactly. Um, and I'm I, I'm I'm sure you're gonna. I hope I'm not interrupting a great transition you're about to make. Nope. Uh, into is there? <laughs> it's <laughs> no, all you, buddy. I just realized I said that that oh, the Nick's whole thing about the alibi. Do you have any questions where people point out that here Bo says he was hanging out with Javier that night? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think there's there's definitely general chat, um, not just in the follow up post, but on the Facebook page in general about the inconsistencies um, with Bo and what he says he was doing and not doing. Um, there are people who feel very strongly that. That Bo's right. He didn't really get asked about his actual do like exactly what he was doing in that first interview that was a little more off the cuff by the police when they didn't know anything and didn't know what to ask um, that he said. Yes, he said sort of part of what he was doing, but no one ever pressed him on like the full activities of the night. Um, So I think people my sense of people um, who listen to the podcast is that there's there's sort of 
like some people really believe like, yes, that he that, that is he has fully alibied Javier that with a phone evidence just means Javier's off the table. And then some people still feel like they they can't quite pin that down. So I want to be clear and first point out that I think Javier doesn't need his alibi um, because I personally am still unless somebody can show me different. I think Javier's home phone records alibi him from being at the scene yeah. when the fires were set yes. and when the murders happened. Um, and I don't think there's any way around that. So, I, so I'm not saying this to say that, oh, this means Javier is guilty, but it's, it, to me, it means Javier's lying and I, or it appears that it, that he could be. And yeah, in the first interview, they didn't go through, give me step-by-step details about what happened last night. They didn't, they didn't do that. Um, and he doesn't say I wasn't with Javier. That's also correct. He said, you know, I was hanging out. I think he said I hung out with, with, with Nick after work. Doesn't mention being with Javier. But what he does say 12 hours after the murder or 15 hours after the murder, what he says in that interview was, I was supposed to hook up with, and I, I should grab the quote, but it, it was to the extent of, paraphrasing, I was supposed to meet up with Javier and go see Becky last night. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen. He very clearly, and that's the part that's important to me. That in that first interview, 15 hours after it happened, he's asked what he did last night, and he says, I was supposed to go see Becky with Javier last night, and we didn't. That's important to me because, because as I've said before, I think that if Javier were to have any kind of involvement in this, I think that I think that the extent of his connection to it is that he knows what happened. Hmm. I don't think. And that's just, and and we're still in very much information gathering stage. I know I keep saying this. I'm not even, like a lot of people are throwing out theories. If you've noticed, you haven't heard me lay out any theories because I'm not even close to having a theory yet. Um, But as I'm just looking at what things we can eliminate, in my mind, Javier being at the scene, participating in this crime has, is eliminated for me. Unless something new comes, I'm always open to new things, but that's eliminated for me. I don't think that's the case, but I can't eliminate the fact that he knows what happened and that he knows who did this. And, and there's indications like, you know, Nick also says, yeah. And Nick said this before he heard Bo's interview that, yeah, there was something. Now he may have it wrong. He remembers going to Denny's or whatever, but whatever it was, he remembered they were supposed to go see Becky with Javier that night. And it didn't happen. Bo said the next morning, I was supposed to go see Becky with Javier that night. And it didn't happen. Uh, and then the, the uh, coupled with the phone records, it sure seems like Javier knew something was was going on there. But but I guess that's a long answer to a short uh, observation. But yeah, I in this interview he says he was with Javier that night. I I always tend to default back to the original, the ones that happened closest. And it's it's certainly fair for people to say that he wasn't asked for details. So when he never said specifically that Javier wasn't there. Um, but he also never said at the beginning he was with Javier, and he did say that he was supposed to connect with Javier and see Becky, and that didn't happen in the original interview. Here, we're eight months later, and he says at the beginning of the interview that, oh, yeah, I just talked to Javier a week ago, having not heard from him. And I'm not even saying that he's I, – I don't think in any way he's trying to cover for Javier. But I think that, you know, as you – like, memories are malleable, particularly if, you know, Bo has nothing to do with this crime – so there's no, you know, he's no has no reason to hide or really commit a whole lot to memory, and if he's chatting with with Javier, and it, it could be as simple as Javier would be like, oh yeah, remember we were doing, you know, we were hanging out smoking weed that night, and Bo could be like, oh yeah, that make yeah, I remember because there's plenty of nights that they did do that. Yeah, but he goes out of his way to sort of, I don't want to say throw Javi under the bus, but there, but he's he says plenty of other things that suggest that. He yeah. wouldn't necessarily be interested in taking Javier's word about what happened that night because he's implicating him in all kinds think, of other ways. Yeah, and I, and that's what I mean. I think he's being honest. I, I don't I don't think he's like tr- taking Javier's word. I think he just had a very malleable memory of that night. And I think I, my impression of 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 what he was saying is that he used the term. It was his truth. I think he believes that's what happened that night. Right. I yeah. I like, I would agree with that for sure. I just I I'm yeah. I, I and then listeners maybe you feel the way I do. I'm just there's just been so much mix up about what day things happened and other things that we can't corroborate. Like Bo saying he was on the phone with Becky that same day and Bo saying that 
you know, he thought yeah. he got off at eight. He thought he got off at 10. But it, and that was right. at That was like 12 hours after he got off work. But, or, you know, roughly. Um, but he was uh-huh. wrong about when he got off work. And so I just worry that I, yeah. you know, I feel like I can't put any stock in it or I can't put as much stock in it just because I'm like, well, maybe he's thinking about Saturday night. Maybe he and Javi said that they were going to go visit her at Saturday. Sure. You know, it's just that feeling of like, what do you take and what do you leave behind um, when there's so many inconsistencies across the board? So I, I kind of go back to like like I said, it, it's something that I just can't eliminate uh, because of what's out there. If it was as simple as Bo's interview, like Bo's first interview where he says supposed to get hook up with Becky or with Javier and go see Becky that night didn't happen. If that was all it is, I'd be like, eh, it could go either way. Like I really have nothing here. But then you have Nick, who says, "Yeah, we were supposed to go see Becky that night," and and. Javier didn't show up and we didn't go see her. And then you have the phone records where Javier is still calling Nick after 930, after, you know, you know, hour, hour and a half or more after he got off of work that night when he says he was with them from eight o'clock on. Right. Well, he's so, so like there are there are contributing factors to corroborate that segment. And that's why I'm honed in on that particular bit of the interview, because. It seems to be corrob- – it is corroborated by what Nick says. You know, they could both be wrong. But then it also seems to be corroborated by the phone records. Bo does say he was hanging out with Nick. Nick does say he was hanging out with Bo. And Javier's still calling Nick at 940-something or whenever it was. So clearly they're not together. So you know what I mean? So you know what I mean? So yes, there are inconsistencies enough for you to question what Bo said. But what I'm doing with that and with everything else is is gathering all this information and seeing, okay, what does mesh up? What does have a something that that can corroborate it and cement it? And there's a lot of these interviews and a lot of these timelines and things that were able to just like take it's like, ah, he said this happened, but the phone, you know, for example, Bo says, I got off work at 1030 at night. Well, here's your timesheet. No, you didn't. You got off at eight o'clock at night. So that didn't happen. And I think, you know, all these different little things that you can like throw out, but then you have one like we were supposed to get together and go with Javier and see Becky. Oh, yeah, Nick said that, too. Well, Javier said you guys were together. You didn't say we were together, and the phone records show you weren't together. So now that stays in. It's not one of the things that, that I'm, for me, that I'm, like, tossing out. Because that's what we're trying to do, right, is we're trying to filter through all the nonsense and the bullshit and get back down to, like, the, the basic facts that we actually know. And that's why a lot of listeners, uh, and, and at some point, we'll, we'll, I'll publish those and go through all of them. That are making these timelines and they're great. And I think uh, Caroline, uh, can't remember your last name. I'm sorry, Caroline. I call her Caroline CP because ha- I never know if I'm supposed to say people's last names, but I think it's Cook Peltier. Yeah. But that's like off memory, yeah. so I could be wrong. Yeah. And, and, but she's made an incredible timeline that she's adding to. Yeah, there's a great. few other people that are making incredible. Uh, listener uh, Teresa is working through phone records for me right now that we'll be having coming up very soon um, to be able to tie some of this stuff together. So, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like everybody that's doing theories and everything, that's great. That's how we think through things. But for me, what I'm doing with all these interviews and all these statements is gathering all this evidence, gathering all this information, putting it together, figuring out what is unverified. You know, everything goes into a category. It's either provably false, unverifiable, or verifiable. And taking the verifiable segments and starting to put them together to piece together what was actually going on right now. And that's why, they, like, to me, I keep saying the people that are, like, I'm bored with this or whatever, it's critically important to me to keep getting more layers to put in that because we have so many gaps and so many inconsistencies. Somewhere we're getting to the truth. And, and Caroline and Teresa and so many other listeners are doing such a fantastic job of gathering that information. And I think you're all going to be shocked at the end of this when we're able to put this together, like, what we actually Figured out. I always think of the uh, the the wax on wax on moment. By the way, I don't think it's wax on wax on, but uh, we understand what you're talking about. I said off. Okay. Wax on wax off. I don't understand why I'm doing all this. And at the end of it, I'm gonna you know. Uh, hopefully, there's gonna be a Mr. Miyagi moment. We'll start throwing punch- punches and kicks. Right. Do you think any of the kicks are gonna involve them going to Denny's uh, on Sunday night? Because I feel like we've. We, I, I sort of feel like we should toss that aside. I know Montana feels the same way. I just, I, I wish, I That's really the, wish we had early interviews from Nick because I, I believe he has the best intentions. Right? But it's just so hard when the only time you ever hear that is in 2022. Yeah. That's, so, that's so tough. that's for me, that is in the unverifiable category for me. 
It's not provably false. We don't have proof that it didn't happen, but we don't have proof that it did happen. Mm-hmm. And we've got some indications that maybe it didn't happen. So right now that I, I have the trip to Denny's that night to see Becky is unverifiable. And that comes back to the, the malleability of memories, too. They you know if there was if Bo was right and what he said, which there was a plan to get together with Javier and to see Becky that night. And and that's and that's really what happened. That Javier didn't show up. They didn't see Becky. And over the years, if if that part is accurate, your your memory people don't think this is true, and people but it does. Your brain will literally fill in gaps where there's gaps in the actual memory. It will fill them in, and it could be as simple as Nick's, you know, is is filled in the gaps that uh, you know put that together with another time they went to Denny's or something, or the fact that he knows Becky wasn't at Denny's. And it has created a very real memory for him of them going to Denny's, even if they didn't actually go to Denny's. But I'm not I'm not willing to throw it out, but I'm keeping it as unverifiable. Okay. So as we speak about verifiable and unverifiable, this isn't location. This isn't anything. This is just a matter of an opinion right now. This is another time where we've heard Austin hates Becky. Right. Are we putting this in the verifiable? Because I feel like this is starting to pile up. I think so. Um Jenna, I'm curious what you think, but I mean, oh, definitely, seemed, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm yeah. happy, to, I'm happy to agree that I feel like it's pretty, it's been made pretty clear that that was he just didn't, he didn't like her. Yeah, it's a hundred percent, and 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 some of it's not just opinion. Some of it's not just, oh, I just, you know, I just got the feeling that he hated her. We're hearing from multiple people that he said I fucking hate her, right? You know, so yeah, when you have a multiple, that's a consistency throughout. So yeah, I agree with you. That's a good point. I want to bring up something that Sarah mentioned on the follow-up Facebook uh, post, which is, she says that Sarah G, uh, Bo started to say that they were getting into Nick's mom's and then LeClaire interrupted him. Could it be that they weren't in Nick's truck that Monday? I mean, I think, I guess, do we establish um, in the actual interview when someone says whose red truck is that and someone actually calls it out and says that's Nick's, so... Boom! They were in Nick's red, tr- red truck. I because I didn't notice that in the interview, but I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah, uh, it could be, but unfortunately, we don't have that. You know, and you know, I haven't tried to reach out yet. Maybe I'll try to see if I can track down Nick Corline and see if he's willing to, to talk. Because uh, I, to be honest with you, I didn't catch that. Yeah, that he started to say that. That he started. So they, so they're saying he started to say, "Yeah, we got." Yeah, Sarah Nick's thought she. Yeah, it. Sarah thought she heard him say that they were getting into Nick's mom's presumably car um but then leclerc interrupted so gotcha. i don't know but I'll, i don't know I'll, how that jives good with good catch with the, whose little red truck is that so or whose red truck is that um that we yeah and it, that could be that's a that's a good catch i can't give you a good answer for it right now i need to go back and listen to that um okay but yeah that is interesting um okay uh just pointing out because i think other people said it too that um nicole h is one of many who is just like weird like they they know it probably doesn't mean anything but they're weirdly hung up on how many times Bo talks about his photographic memory and that they left on saturday morning at 8 11 a.m 8 11 a.m i think he he just that uh-huh. just keeps coming up over and over again um not so much that it means anything but people are just like why 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 is 8 11 so key I can- I can see that, but that was in the first interview, right? That wasn't in this interview. I don't know. The impression I get, I can't, I, I mean, I've listened to Bo's, this most recent interview like three times, so maybe that's just my brain is block, blocking it out. But it, it came, it's come back up recently enough that I thought, oh gosh, does he say it in the second interview also? Chat, I don't remember out. hearing him say it in the second interview. Okay. But in the first one, I didn't think anything anything of that because I, I can, what I, as soon as he said that, what I pictured is, is they were walking out the door, he or they were like ready to leave. Yeah, that I I picture him looking at a digital alarm clock and seeing it was eight eleven and going, oh shit, I was supposed to leave by whatever. You know, Jill B says he for, said for, it like, in both. Sorry, just I knew somebody okay. would weigh in on the chat. So if that's right, okay. then he just keep uh, reading yeah. It. So I have to go back and listen for this one. But that first time I heard, because because like I would totally do that, especially there's um you you the 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 affective um learning process in your brain like when there's an emotion attached to something it really cements it in your mind mm-hmm. so like i picture like if i'm looking at a clock i see the time and that cr- and that creates an emotional response in me like i'm late for something which is i think kind of the impression we got from that um i for sure will see that clock like i can because i'm not remembering a time i'm remembering something i saw 
Um, so when we said eight eleven to me, that seemed like he was staring. But it is funny that he says that he has a photographic memory, then he can't remember shit after that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Boy, gosh, you know, re- you're gonna hear yeah. an interview. You're gonna hear this weekend is another one where you. Starts off with, oh, I remember everything. And then two minutes later, I remember nothing. Oh, God, Every interview, I swear, every interview we listen to, at some point in the interview, I always think on both sides, both for law enforcement who should know better and for the, the, list, the, the people who are being interviewed who wouldn't know, just the idea of like, did you ever think that this was going to be public record, that this conversation that you had was going to be picked right. apart by thousands of people? Yikes. Like, I wouldn't trade places with anybody. It's tough. Um, I, I do want to point out um, Jason White in the chat makes a good point. Um, he says that in the first interview th- that Bo was asked about smoking pot, um, which he says could be why he didn't mention being with Javier in the first interview. Because, you know, he was de- that was when he was like, no, I don't smoke. And I don't know if they smoke. Maybe they smoke. I don't know if they smoke. And so that's so the, I think I, I, Jason, if I understand your point correctly, is that. You know, if what he was doing with Javier was smoking pot and the cop was asking about smoking pot and he was trying to avoid admitting that he smoked pot, then maybe that's why he didn't mention him. Mm, in the interview. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's I hear fair. That. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's certainly fair. I hear that. Um, and now I just want to move into, you know, Carl K., Matthew D., some other folks in Facebook, just coming back to this whole idea that, you know, we are doing what needs to be done. And we and, and there is a lot of parsing of little individual moments in all these interviews, but that very much people are saying, you know, appreciate it, know we got to do it, fascinating, there's stuff to be gleaned from it, but just aren't getting the feeling that any of these people had anything to do with it. You know, Carl points out that Jacob and Javi, the way that Jacob sort of just, you know, says Javi's the key, like if the two of them had something to do with it together, that behavior wouldn't make sense. Um, that, that, that people talk about the growing out outdoors and wondering if maybe Matthew wonders if maybe there is some connection there or if not that actually Matthew keeps pointing back to the money like could people mm-hmm. have known if it is someone in the friend group could money could the the idea of the word getting out that they're coming into some money be a part of it but but that they're again there's just this sense from people of like boy are could any of these guys actually be involved like not they're not necessarily feeling it as you know yeah so this is what this this is what i'll say about that very well could be that they're not involved at all someone mentioned i think it was on the fan page today i saw somebody pointed out like the um the tara grinstead case from up and banish season one mm. where they were like they really kept a secret honing, yeah yeah well they were like really honing in on this a certain group of friends that they seemed almost certain pain seemed very you know very confident these people were involved, but then an arrest is made and it was somebody totally off the radar. Um, and I certainly appreciate that. And that's, I don't want, I don't want to call, you know, I know pain. I don't want, I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong. So I don't want to say it was a mistake, but to me, something I am trying to avoid and always try to avoid is not going down that path. To me, season one and up and vanish pain went too far. And I, I remember saying to my wife when I was listening to, because I was a listener of the podcast in real time as it was happening, I remember like, oh man, he's really stretching, kind of almost accusing these people. And there's really no evidence of it, of, of doing this. And we find out that he was wrong. It had nothing to do with those people. So that's, you know, I, I'm, that's, that's where I think the trouble comes in. If we start saying, well, oh, based on this, we really need to focus in only on that group because we must be right. Um, so no, it's, we're gathering information. We're trying to decide if the, if they can be cleared, it could be they're not involved and that's okay because we've never said they were involved. And I'm not even saying, I think they were involved. I cannot eliminate a scenario where some of them, there could be some involvement. I said, I haven't given a theory yet. And it's because I don't have a theory uh, because you're not wrong. Like, like to say, okay, well, Jacob was mad and Jacob's phone records don't work out. So, you know, Jacob and Melba, this weird, the way he interacts with Javier. And then, you know, the, and then there's Austin and he, you know, it's, I don't know how any of that could fit together. I know something's fishy, right. something stinks here could be something completely innocuous. Um, but I'm also paying attention to, and we're going to hear some more of this too. Like when, you know, we asked Jim, you know, one of the reasons we had Jim Clemente on was talk about post-defense behavior. What are we going to hear? And we're starting to hear, from Javier, like, oh, right afterwards, he 
know, we heard like the rectus truck and stuff like rectus car and stuff like that, but it's like that he moved away. We're going to start to hear over the next couple of weeks what happened with Jacob and Austin over the next month. So we're going to start to get into some of that stuff to try to figure out what can be eliminated. I'm going to tell you we're we're probably a couple weeks from wrapping up this friend group and moving on to a different segment. It doesn't mean that we're, we'll never circle back because we will absolutely circle back. Um, but, but, you know, we're, we're going to kind of wrap things up and say, okay, so who can be cleared and who, like, wh- what, what do we have that people should maybe stay in the person of interest category? Why we move into the next thing? That's, that's where we're trying to get to. We're not trying to get to a point in this segment. And I know it's because we're 25 weeks in, it seems like we should be to the point where we're like narrowing down a suspect with a pro- again, three victims, two defendants. Several different groups of victimology. Like we're just, this case is going to take three times as long as any other case. So like, if this was a normal case with one victim and and you know say like Elmora Griffin, right? So so like she's got a very limited circle of people around her from season two. So we got one victim. We study her victimology. Who was she connected to? Well, there was the Ed Ed Angle, of course, and then she was in kind of this love triangle with uh, Leonard and Angela. And then there was a couple of other people she dated. And so we were able to get through this part very quickly before we moved. In this case, it's just taking. So don't what I'm getting at is don't mistake what we're doing now for us trying to nail down who did this. It has a lot more to do with still victimology, still information gathering for figuring out who can be eliminated and who could st- needs to stay on our radar as we move on. Right. And just to reemphasize that when I talk about Matthew and Carl and folks like that, specifically Matthew, I hope I didn't mischar- mischaracterize what you said. You actually were saying they could be involved because of the money. So I wanted to separate those two things out. But people, yeah. like I said, I know that there are people who are saying, let's move on. These folks are not saying that. They're just kind of pondering through it with everybody else as well. Okay. And yeah, going yeah. back and forth the way I think we all we all do. Um Jennifer asks a couple things we haven't gotten to yet, but wanted to see if you've been about to make contact or uh, been about to make contact or rule in or out as true uh, rumor or unknown uh, thoughts on whether there was ever any evidence at all about this idea of a Marine uh, that Becky dated that Robert had mentioned. Did that ever go anywhere? Are we ready to talk about we're going to get yet? a little more? Yeah, we're going to get a little more on that. I don't know that we ever really pin it down, but we're, we've we've still got and, – and Janet and Zach, the three of us have talked about this. It's tricky kind of navigating a lot of this stuff because we need to move on to another segment, another group. But there's all these like random things out there, right? So we have like the interviews with the sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that fits in a, to a narrative that I'm trying to tell, but we need to get it out there, the information out there. And they – so we get a little bit more in that. There's also – Let's not forget about Josh Ernie. We talked about him one time and haven't talked about him yet. He was interviewed by police and his phone records were pulled, but he was the one like we haven't even discussed him. But when Becky got off work at four in the morning, she's talking to him and he was the last person she was talking to on the phone on her way up the mountain the day she was killed. Yeah. So that definitely needs to be touched on. Yeah. So like. So and some of this I'm just is just me as always just trying to be very transparent with you guys. So I'm like, well, so where do I? You know, it's it's like why are we just listening to these, these interviews instead of this? I I have a very difficult time turning this into a narrative story yeah. because as I said, it's like this spider web that goes in every direction. So it's like, well, I can't not like when do I wedge this interview in? I want you to hear it. I want you to know about it. Um, so just so you know, those those things are all. All coming. For sure. Okay, great. Um, also, the same kind of question about the gang members, um, that kind of rumor. Mm-hmm. Any other rumors you feel you've nailed down? This is Jennifer. Uh, nailed down as true, rumor, and likely false or unknown. Uh, she wants to hear your gut on this, given your experience. I mean, no, I don't know that I, you have anything to add to that, but. Yeah, there's, there's, there's right now, no. I mean, other than what we've got, the stuff that we've kind of already already discussed it, it really has a I, i'm just it's it's less about a limit because there's so many things that are going to live in the unverified category forever and ever that may come into play if we when we get to a point where we're able to narrow down an actual suspect um but right now it's a lot a, a, those things that are living in the ver- unverifiable category so really right now it's more about what can i put into the verified category right so you know what i mean it's less i can't eliminate a lot of rumor so for example the stuff in the trunk Nick has a very clear memory of seeing that stuff in Javier's truck, but it's also 
the 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 memory of that has changed a couple of times, but in both instances it was in Javier's trunk. And then you have Jessica saying she saw it in Austin's trunk. I can't say, oh well, Nick's wrong and Jessica's right. It was Austin. Right. I can't say. I I have no no way to verify that. I can't say they're both right. They both had stuff in their trunk, or they was in one trunk and in the other trunk. So that just that just ends up just living in unverifiable. That we'll circle back to if for some reason we're really looking closely at Javier or Austin. I guess. Yeah. Lauren says, have we been able to uh, track down Bo and reach out to him for his thoughts? Um, And then also just a general question. Lauren asks, is anyone else connected to this case listening to the podcast besides Nick that you know of? Um, Haven't tracked down Bo yet. I'm hoping to. Um, As far as. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten. Yeah. I've had people reach out that have connections. I'm going to talk a little bit about that on Sunday um, that have connections to the case that don't want to be named that are they want to kind of stay anonymous uh certainly the convicted family members of robert and christian uh they're definitely listening to this um i don't, I don't know who else as far as reached out to me the one that, that we've heard from that is like directly reached out has been nick and uh nick crumb and haven't heard anybody else that the people that we've like spoken about so far Uh, Okay, then the only thing that I have that is not related to this case, but um, thought we would end with as a call to action is that today is Sandy Melgar's birthday. And it would be lovely if people reached out to her. Obviously, she won't hear about it necessarily right away. But also, just a reminder that you can still participate in looking out for Sandy, trying to uh, weigh in and call to account the prison and some of its treatment there of of prisoners there. There is a lot of information about that on the Facebook page. Um, Valeria actually wrote and has since already received word back or mm-hmm. response from the prison. And then Valeria even posted a template for writing letters that's on the Facebook page. So uh, I just wanted to give her a huge shout out for keeping that front of mind and encourage people um, to be a part of that as well. Yeah. And, and and Valeria and several other people have shared letters. Like they've actually received written letters back from the prison. So they are listening. And the big thing is that they know that people are watching. I think that's very important for them to say, like, if you mistreat this prisoner or these prisoners, that there is an army of people that are going to hold you accountable for it. And um, and I and I, I will say I appreciate TDCJ, like, actually having someone respond to the letters. Yeah, I have not heard um, anything. So I was impressed and glad to hear that something, someone heard something. Yeah. So they're, they're starting to send those letters back. And again, yeah, Sandy's birthday, it'll, by the time this airs, uh, it will have been two days ago, the 7th was her birthday. Um, on Wednesday, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and if you want to send her a nice letter or contact and that goes for anybody, you know, Jesse Eldridge could always use a letter to, um, you know, anybody, if you get a chance, go on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. There's contact information for everybody that we, that, that we've worked with. And if you're on JPay, you can send them, a, it's super easy through JPay. Um, you can, you can send them like an email that they and then print out as a PDF. Uh, um, Just remember uh, not to send any cards because some of us thought that a letter-shaped card was maybe going to be okay if it was thin enough and someone uh, just received it back after like three months. Yeah. (laughs) And was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I totally forgot. You can't send cards, even if they're in the same shape as a letter. Like, I, that's on me. Yep, yep. Just just letters. JPay's great. And even like Jamie Snow from season seven, like, they actually have tablets where he can like email you back and forth. Like you can send him a message and he can message you right back sometimes too, um, through connect network, I think is who we, uh, we talked to Jamie through. Um, so yeah, uh, letters to the prison, letters to the inmates, particularly Sandy, who's kind of going through a rough time and, uh, it's, it's her birthday, uh, do any of that stuff. Um, and with that, I think, I think we're, we're about to wrap things up. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just a few. I'm I'm kind of scrambling because I'm in the morning. I'm leaving to go to Kansas City for the Generation Y 10 year anniversary party. I'm super excited about that. By the time you guys hear this, that'll be over with. Um, I'm doing that. We've still got Obsess Fest at the end of the month, and I want to let you guys know too that the episode on Sunday. I hope. I hope that I've found the sweet spot for the uh, best of both worlds for this episode. The episode's going to be like an hour and 20 minutes long. Because what I did is I have about 20, 25 minutes of, of a narrative episode where 
I'm breaking down police reports and breaking down the interview that we're going to hear and then playing the interview at the end of it. So for those of you that just want to hear me hit the highlights and don't want to listen to it, you can turn it off after about 20 minutes. You'll hear all the basic information. For those of you that want to hear my breakdown and want to hear the actual interview, you'll have that. Great. If you don't want to hear me talk and only want to hear the interview, you can just fast forward to that. I don't care what you do, but you have lots of options. <gasps> and this week's episode is going to be the final chapter for now on Austin Alba. Uh, he was contacted again. I mentioned to you guys that there was an interview. There was music playing in the background. There's a whole. I've had. And by the way, I've had listeners reach out that are like sound engineers and audio engineers that are like, I'm going to try to clean this up, uh, offer to do it. I finally, after talking to my attorney, that it falls under what is called the incidental inclusion um, exception to the copyright laws, meaning because it just happened to be playing in the background, that it's okay. So I'm playing the interview. Um, it's kind of t- it's kind of a tough one to hear because it's not only is there music, they're sitting on a dock and there are like boat motors tootling by and different things, so it it can be a rough one to hear. Unfortunately, I know especially a lot of our um, and I have heard you. And I'll try to start doing this. Um, people um, from different countries that have maybe different accents and dialects have asked if I could post the transcripts before the episode so they could read along. Yeah. Um, and try to start doing it. It's tricky because I can't schedule that. And so I I, I don't want to like put it, the you know, the transcript out on Saturday and everybody start talking about it on Saturday on the page when the episode doesn't air until Sunday. But I'm going to try to work getting those up much quicker. Um, but unfortunately this one, there is no transcript, at least not that I have in my file for this interview. So you're going to have to either just take my word for it on the breakdown or listen to it yourself. But uh, a lot of options for this Sunday. I think it's super, super interesting interview. Uh, and with that, I will thank all of you on uh, the YouTube chat for participating. All you listeners that wrote in Zach, Janet, wonderful job. I think Zach's had enough of me for today. Are you kidding? It's just such an honor to podcast with my hero. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. 
I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I was all by myself. What is the loneliest number <laughs> Boom. Done. I don't know that song. Just the chorus. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one, but the loneliest number is the number one. (laughs) Janet, was I a good singer? Did you hear how good of a singer I was? When you made sure that it was on the recording? Yes, it was very pretty. I made, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I have a a voice of an angel. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's like a mixture of Fergie and Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> a mixture of Fergie and Jesus. Uh, listen, as long as all you people are here, why don't you uh, hop on over and uh, give us a like on the YouTube. Go ahead and oh smash that God, like button. Go. go ahead and smash that like button. We only got five likes. There's, let's get that up to uh, let's get it up to thirty likes. Smash the like button. What is wrong with you? I did a wonderful intro, by the way. Yeah, I assume you did, and I sang you into the intro very well. I thought you did. Here we go. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but why would you do that? Because I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a bloop. Maybe it's a bloop. We don't know. Bloop. Oh, a bloop. I love bloops. Love a bloop. What's up, guys? Today I'm going to be unboxing a quail incubator. You feel? Smash that like button. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's follow-up. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>